Starting a podcast can be very time-consuming. I've been doing it for more than three years now, and my biggest challenge was finding a way to distribute my episodes across major audio platforms in a way that was easy, effective, and free to use. That's when I came across Anchor. And the best part is that you can actually make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So if you're interested, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What's going on, everyone? This is George Khalife. We're back with another episode of Let's Grab Coffee. I'm here today with a good friend, Aaron Spivak, who's a serial entrepreneur. At 18 years old, Aaron co-founded Revitasize, an organic cold-pressed juice kitchen serving high-quality juices, smoothies, bowls, you name it, uh, basically catching the uh, health movement before it actually became a thing. Uh, Aaron's also the uh, the founder of uh, Hush. Hush blankets are designed to help people sleep better, especially if they have anxiety, insomnia, and ADHD. Something really cool. Very excited to talk to someone who's a young serial entrepreneur doing interesting things and also pivot away from technology, which is something I think uh, is, is pretty pretty refreshing for a lot of us listening today. So thanks a lot for doing this, man. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. So tell me, tell me one thing. We're chatting briefly about this uh, before we started, but kind of curious to see your lens on this. When you were venturing into the entrepreneurial space, how did you know where to start? Because I think that's that's obviously always a question people have: is like, George, listen, I'm motivated, I'm inspired, I want to do something, I just don't know where to start. What was that for you? Yeah, I mean, for me, it wasn't um, it wasn't so much of a conscious decision. I didn't uh, sit around and say, you know what, I'm going to venture into entrepreneurship. I, because, you know, that's, that's what I want to do, or I think it's cool, or if that's how I want to make money, or I have an idea and I want to bring it to the world. Um, I was always just kind of selling, you know, in grade six, I, my mom was knitting hats and I was selling it to kids in school in winter. Um, I used to have like a party bus company where we would do proms in, in high schools for people. And I had a little entertainment company where we would do DJ gigs in people's houses. So I was always just naturally trying to provide for other people, whether one service or another, um, without consciously even knowing that it was entrepreneurship. It was more of like, this is what I enjoyed to do. And then, you know, it happened to make me a little bit of money on the side. Um, however, and that kind of was the truth with Revitasize. I mean, you know, my brothers and I, my mom, we just were juicing in our house for ourselves. Um, we were athletes. We wanted to have a higher performance for us. It was hockey. So on the ice, um, and we found juicing to be an alternative that helped us get our nutrients in daily. And, um, people just started to take note and they were just, Hey, can you guys juice for us? And we just started juicing for them. And what happened was, kind of a trickle effect where more and more people want to juice and we ended up just juicing for like 50 people a day out of our house and it got to the point where you know people were knocking on our door and I'd open the door at like 7 30 at night and they'd be like oh is this where you pick up juice and I'm like are you kidding so it, wow. it not it naturally gravitated to to become a business but I think be, well being so young and and you know my brothers weren't in the entrepreneurial space either, uh, even though they're a little bit older, they, they were working corporate jobs. So it was kind of just like us providing a service. And it wasn't until I would say a year in the house where we like sat around and we said like, Hey, are we going to actually do this or not? Mm -hmm. 
And then that's kind of when the business aspect um, came into it. But yeah, I mean, it, it was very natural for me. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't like a career path that I sat around and chose between three or four career paths and said, okay, this is the one. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting, man. What's also different too about this is, uh, I mean, as I'm sure people know now, uh, you have, I think, seven locations, right? If, if I'm not mistaken, maybe more now, but is, is it still seven? It's, it's eight and then it'll be 10, um, hopefully by end of August or early September. That's amazing. When it, and you opened your first one almost three and a half years ago, right? The, no, the first one we opened in, in 2015. 15 or 20 or late 2014 okay so about four um, yeah four years yeah about four years ago we were able to open our second one six months later and it's kind of been on the on the six month rolling basis between each one what is it like to 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 kind of go through that planning phase of obviously if you have like i was talking to uh, david siegel from david Stee, and he was telling me um, especially for like a storefront with something physical, obviously for him, it's teas and stuff. And he was telling me like location is, is super important and the way you market it and being very diligent about where you put stuff. Like what was, what was going through your mind where you, uh, sorry, when you wanted to, uh, to open that first door? Yeah. Like looking back on it, the decision, the way we decided on things, uh, I would never ever do again. So, so yes. I got to say what David is saying, right? So all those things that I'm sure he did, the market research, the understanding of the demographics of the area and all that different mm-hmm. types of stuff that you need to analyze, you know, the amount of people in, in a 0.5 radius of your store, all that, the household income, all the stuff that we do now, uh, we just didn't do. Like our, four store, our first store, the only reason we opened up where it was was because it was walking distance from my parents' house and we just didn't have them constant transportation we had i think uh, one or two cars and slip it you five of us so we're like we can't go far mm-hmm. so we just it was just convenience for us we had customers in the area as it is we grew up in that area so like it our, that was basically the, the methodology which is why we opened our first location actually up until about a year ago it stood as our most um as our busiest location um and that was the one that we put the least amount of market research into now, as we open up stores, yeah, there's there's definitely a, a, quite the process. Um, we we evaluate anything from the size, uh, the type of leases we can get, um, what's in the area, the demographics, uh, the household income. Uh, we'll run a few. We're able to run a few tests now in the area in terms of uh, Facebook ads that we'll see what kind of uh, pushback we get from certain people if it's the type of spot that we want to open in. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's local gyms in the area, we'll do our market research and go and we'll pay our visits and say, Hey, like, how's it going? And for you, because we do share a lot of clients with, uh, especially those new type of uh, gyms coming up like berries and, and orange theory and F45 and all that. We have a lot of commonalities with them. So if there's one in the area, it's very nice to see how they're doing. Um, mm-hmm. so there's a lot that goes into opening one nowadays, but, uh, looking back our first two, like our, our Yorkville location was you know, one of our clients just trying to get out of a lease and he's like, take it. We're like, okay, fine. <laughs> that was it. It's gonna walk so, you know, yeah. So it's funny to see like, you know, how your methodology changes over time as you learn from your mistakes. Mm, that's very interesting, man. And uh, especially like how you, you contextualize this whole thing. Like you were doing this basically on the side. It grew traction naturally and people, and I love these kinds of stories. It's like, it's, you know, imagine you, you, you're a great cook or you, you're a great baker and people eventually are like, man, listen, you're making muffins all the time. These things are great. Why don't you just open a store? 
but so many people exactly. I feel are, are, are kind of reluctant to do that. And especially because it's a financial commitment too. I mean, opening a store is, is different. Like there's a lot of, um, one, there's a lot of backlog. It's capital intensive. It's not like just building software in your basement and hoping it, you know, it, it cracks or you erase financing. Like in this one, there's a lot of commitment upfront that you have to kind of go through. Did that ever worry you? Uh, in the beginning, especially like looking back now, you're saying you weren't as you know diligent. Obviously, like you learned this along the way, but back then when you made that financial commitment, did you did you have any kind of concerns? And if so, how did you you navigate through it? That's a, yeah, that's great. I mean, I'll actually share what what is the you know the average age of people listening. I'll actually share something that might be very beneficial. Yeah, it's uh, so you can say about twenty to forty in that kind of range. Okay, perfect. So. When we when we started, obviously there's a huge financial commitment, like you mentioned, um, mm-hmm. opening up our first location. Um, I didn't, I don't come from a very affluent family, so we didn't, I didn't really, wasn't able to get a gift or anything like that to help us open the store. Um, so actually, our first year working in the house, every dollar we made, uh, we saved. So we said to ourselves, listen, if we can, we did, the, <laughs> we did the math at the time. Uh, so the math geniuses that we were, we said, okay, listen, it's going to cost us about $100,000 to open up um, our first location. We did all the costs. We, did, we had a beautiful Excel sheet. So we saved, uh, ended up being about a year and a bit uh, in our house. And we got to about 95000 And we said, okay, we're good enough. Let's sign this lease. So we signed a lease. We started building the store. Um, fast forward a few months, we end up actually coming up a hundred thousand dollars short <laughs> three weeks before opening you know contracts are expecting to get paid we have no money um this whole project is about to fall through the cracks so i mean it was it was tough for us we, and the way you know, the way we got it is we actually crowdfunded a, a large portion of it um through friends uh, friends and family, you know, people who are willing to give us a thousand bucks, two thousand bucks, who kind of believed in us a bit. Um, and it was, it was, it was something that you never do in, 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 in a restaurant or a quick service restaurant type game it is open up on day one. And if we did not make money on day one, we wouldn't have enough money to afford inventory for day two. Wow. Um, so it was, you know, looking back, I, people say, would you, you go back? Would you do Would you do it the same? And I was like, absolutely not. Because, you know, if back then I was like, well, this, we're obviously going to make money on day one. Like, why would we not make money on day one? Like, we're opening the doors, right? Mm. Um, but looking back, that was complete insanity uh, to think that. Um, so, like, yeah, like, we, we opened up and, you know, we were very fortunate to have uh, our entire community come and support us on day one and kind of never looked back since. But, um, that was it. Like financially making that first investment was, was extremely difficult. Uh, and, and you're right. Like we were all in, like every single thing was completely leveraged. All our credit cards, all our personal line of credits were maxed out. Um, there was no room for failure. It was complete sink or swim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, 100%. What's also interesting with what you're saying, it, it reminds me a lot of the stuff that Gary Vee promotes, but um, it's very true. And it, it, it sounds, you know, genuine in the sense that, like, you basically just tried to find any any alternative you could. So, you know, you, you saved a lot of money as a as a group, as a family, you know, um, try to scrap from from 
kind of outside sources and just really pu- pulling this together by the teeth, basically, uh, just to make that, you know, that first door happen. The one thing that kind of came to my mind as you were, as you were speaking is basically, obviously, I mean, at, at this point, how old were you before I continue? How old were you when, when this was how? 18? 18. This was 18, 19. That's crazy. So, so 18, 19, you know, you have this big ambitious dream. How are you selling this to other people? Not your, your immediate family, but like, especially when you were kind of raising from, from other sources and other people, how are you sort of selling them on the dream or vision that you were, you were basically uh, executing on? To, to, we weren't, uh, I mean, a lot of the people we went to were close um, friends, I guess they were, they were close friends or, or really good existing clients. Oh, um, I see. Because so we, we had, yeah, like our, our people, our, our clients kind of forced us to open the store. They're like, hey, we don't want to keep knocking on your door <laughs> at night. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to buy it from a, your house. Yeah, just open yeah, it. Like, get a yeah. spot already, right? So they were all over us. Um, I see. Many, I see. Pe- the, many people believed in the product as is. They were all using it. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't, we didn't really have to convince everyone. Uh, we just needed, we needed support, right? So yeah, I mean, obviously a lot of it came from close friends and family who didn't really need much convincing. Um, and we didn't ask for anyone for, for, for too much. It was literally a, a few grand from, from a handful of people that helped us. Um, isn't, that, but, isn't that better though? I think like just, just kind of to, to segue here, isn't that, wouldn't you find that, that that's actually a better solution for a lot of people is basically do this on the side until you get enough traction and, and, and validate the, the business model, the product, the service, whatever it is that you're working on, and then formally go into it? A hundred percent. I find that a lot of, a lot of people, um, especially nowadays, they get all these emails about these ideas, and mm-hmm. a lot of it are just, they're, they're not validated. Um, and it can be, like in today's world, we're so lucky and so so fortunate to be able to validate our ideas so quickly. There's so many ways we can validate our idea through just talking to people. You can even run a simple ad and just see if you get any traction on it. Um, but yeah, the validation point is, is huge. Because that's why we were such believers that we'd be busy on day one. Simply because we, we were like, well, you know, we served thousands of people in the last year of our house. Why would we not make money on day one? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it, it, it instilled like, it was kind of the small win for us that kept us going. Gotcha, uh, I remember, gotcha. I remember celebrating a month where we made 10 grand in sales at our house. It was a huge thing. Like we ordered food. It was like, a big deal. <laughs> uh, and, and looking back on it, I'm like, I can't believe we celebrated that. Like that wasn't even profit. That was gross 10,000 bucks. But those were the small wins that we were able to celebrate and, and, you know, look back and say that was, that was solid work. We did it. You know, we're on to something. So um, the small ones yeah. are huge. And that comes and that comes from the little points of validation that you can get. Mm. That's a very good point, actually. And I've heard that from a lot of entrepreneurs as well. Like I always say, how do you keep yourself motivated? And this one entrepreneur always told me, like, just focus on the very, very small wins ahead of you. That's it. You know, and that's the only thing that really can keep you inspired, especially in the early days. You know, I think now it's also you have so much uh, more looming pressure. You know, if you're a startup and you're not doing X amount of revenue or, you know, everybody in the tech landscape is like trying to get to that 1 million mark, right? And that's like one point of validation or, oh, did you raise 5 million? Oh, okay. That's another point of validation. So I think it becomes um, even more pressing. Whereas to your point, it's like, listen, even if we're getting a bit of traction this month, it's better than nothing. I mean, we're, we're getting somewhere. At least we have one client, we have $1, like let's, let's keep building on this, on this kind of uh, small success. Yeah, we, we celebrate 
everything, right? Even in Hush, we we celebrate um, every little win we can get. I mean, it's it's so. I mean, all of this comes down to uh, like enjoying enjoying the journey because even if you hit your sales targets or, or if you're the, if you're trying to raise money, you're raising goals, or it's fun for for like twenty five minutes to an hour, really. Or if you're really ambitious, you'll enjoy a full day of it. But mm-hmm. once the dust once the dust settles, it's kind of kind of over. The feeling is done. You're back at it. Um, so and a huge way to enjoy the journey for like for everything I do at least, and, and I kind of emphasize it with the people that I work with is that you know like for example in Hajj, our sales our new sales associate got his first sale yesterday. Like that was a huge deal for us. Everyone celebrated. <laughs> at the end of it like it was such a small fraction of what we're doing but that yesterday that was very important for us and we made sure that everyone felt it and even today like everyone's super excited simply because of yesterday's celebration of the small wins so i think it's huge if you can't celebrate your small wins then then maybe maybe you don't like what you're doing but it's really important to do that for sure yeah it's, i think it's also a really good uh i guess example of, of what culture you're, you're maybe growing you know, and and when you say like, oh, you're celebrating, I could just imagine if I was a sales associate and, you know, the whole team is kind of celebrating my small win. I'm like, damn, like, imagine if I, you know, if I close 10 more deals, what, what are we going to go like flat of space? Like, this is going to, this is great. You know? <laughs> exactly. And it's important. <laughs> and it, 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 it's important to feel good and, and just to love every single piece of the growth um, because it's, it's kind of the, it's just another log on the fire. It's just, it's just mm-hmm. the fire going. When did you, I was looking at your profile and I, and I saw basically you started Hush, I think it was in 2018, correct? Yeah, we started Hush, uh, well, technically late 2017, but we didn't make a sale until okay. Jan, January 2018, yeah. So you're you're growing, on one side you're growing Revita size, it's actually going really well, you're growing locations, and then something happened and you think of this blanket that helps people reduce uh, sorry, helps people sleep better, uh, especially those who have certain cases of, say, anxiety, insomnia, etc. How did this happen? Was it because you weren't getting good sleep? Where did this idea come from, especially while you're growing a business? Yeah, it's crazy to think. But um, so as Revise has naturally progressed, I started obviously meeting a bunch of different people and, and, and trying to network as much as possible and trying to learn new things. Um, I was really intrigued in 2015 um, about the whole Shopify and the website side of things. And I, I really wanted to sell Revitasize online uh, across Canada. That was, that was a huge goal of mine, uh, simply because I learned the hard way that when you have locations, you're so limited to the surrounding radius of your store. Uh, mm-hmm. And I kept thinking, I'm like, we can reach more people online uh, without the huge investment of opening up a store. Um, and through one way or another, actually, I met my partner in Hush, uh, Lior, who is actually in the tech side of things. He has a, he has a software company and, you know, he was doing, he was in the middle of doing a launch on his, on his software. And I was in the middle of launching uh, the Revised Times website. And, you know, we spent a lot of time together and, you know, he helped me with the website and we were kind of going back and forth and, you know, a year into our relationship, um, I was telling him about, you know, what I was learning about Amazon and we were getting really deep into the e-commerce space. And he tells me about a story when he was at um, a camp for children with special needs. He was 
volunteering there and he's like they had this room a simulation room where these children would go into just to relax or to sleep or if they're having a panic attack or whatever they'll go in there has tons of sensory products and they have this like weighted pad and he's like dude i would go to this weighted pad and i would just lie under it but it was so small and like i wish they had this larger blanket and i'm like well then we should make one and um we did some research and we found that there was a few like kind of in that space already selling and then we saw we saw a kickstarter for one that did five million us and i think it was top 10 all time uh for us kickstarters so we ordered it and we ordered every other one on the market and we realized that these things were coming as just one big weighted beanbag and it would sound like a rain stick at night every time you moved and they weren't comfortable and they were tough to wash and i was like these are awful so um we actually got, uh, we teamed up with a few uh, engineers, fabric engineers here in Toronto, actually a couple on Queen Street. Um, and we designed, we designed our own and, you know, it took us a while to find someone to make it. But uh, once we made it, we're like, wow, this is exactly what we wanted. Um, you know, he had a business at a time. I have a right size at a time. You know, we kind of looked at each other and said, like, we can't commit much to this, but let's, let's try as much as, let's do as much as we can. And, you know, kind of just started a business together. We would do, uh, you know, we'd work all morning on our current businesses, him on Scopely's, me on the revised size. And then uh, we'd meet up, meet up at his place at like seven o'clock or seven thirty every night. Uh, we'd order food. So eight o'clock we'd finish eating and we'd go till one or 2 a.m. Uh, for, for about eight months straight until, uh, until we got this ball rolling. Damn. That's a that's a cool story, man. And one thing I actually saw on I think it was on your Instagram, one of your highlights was um, so you you basically did a GoFundMe campaign, right? And and you raised about a million dollars for Hush over the course of X amount of yeah. time. So How, we did, can you talk we, to me about that? Go ahead. Yeah, so we yeah. did. We did. Um, so we were selling. We were selling our our classic, which is like a soft, comfortable cover around the weight. Uh, that people sleep with and when we launched in january it was going amazing like, we couldn't believe it every ad we ran was working we had such amazing feedback people were leaving their old weighted blankets and buying our weighted blanket and we're like wow this is exactly what we wanted and then the summer hit and mm. like almost nobody was buying and you know like Lear and i looked at each other and we're like this is ridiculous why are people like what what happened you know and so we sent out a survey to everyone and we the feedback we got back was that um the current plush cover is too warm for for the summer. So who wants who wants a warmer blanket in the summer when you're hot as it is? Um, so we said, you know, we said to each other, like, listen, we're either going to come up with with a summer option uh, to prevent this business from being a seasonal business, or you know, we're just going to ride this wave until we run out of inventory and, and go our separate ways. Um, and we didn't want just like a standard bamboo cover that a lot of people push as cooling products. We wanted something very unique. Uh, a proprietary blend for sure. So we spent again. We went back to the drawing board. Spent about six months developing a fabric that that stays cool, basically all night long. Um, and we finally got one going. But the thing that was very unique about this blanket, or the cover perhaps, was that it's not uh, mass produced. So when you when we usually order fabrics, it's got to be mass produced. So you can just kind of buy a roll or two. We needed someone to basically create this blend for us um, and in order to do that you need to order large 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 quantities so uh, we took the kickstarter which is which is a crowdfunding platform 
Uh, we launched in, in this March, actually, and uh, yeah, I think it did 1.1 million Canadian, and I think it closed, it just closed actually about a week ago at 1.5. Uh, wow. I think that was, I think that is top 10 all time in Canada for a Kickstarter. So that one, that was quite, quite surreal to be honest. We didn't, I mean, we had those ambitious goals, but yeah, it did just, it just took off really. And what happens, like, just for, maybe for people wondering if, they, if they're if looking to maybe start a, a, a FundMe campaign, um, looking back, like, what things did you kind of learn through the process that worked really well for you for it to be success, other than obviously having a, a really good product that people uh, really, really wanted? Just yeah, terms- I mean, that's, that, that's a great question. I mean, we had a ton of people asking us about the whole Kickstarter thing. and So something interesting about, about Kickstarter is... Um, People are under are under the impression often um, that you can. The point of Kickstarter is to go on there if you don't have any any money or any equity or not any equity, just any type of capital to invest. Uh, so they think that if they post their product onto Kickstarter, then Kickstarter's natural traffic that they get um, will drive traffic to your page, and then if you have a cool product, they'll buy. Um, that is true a little bit. Uh, you can probably raise five, ten, maybe fifteen thousand by doing that. However, um, Kickstarter re- requires a lot, a lot of advertising spend. So, mm-hmm. if you do not have the upfront capital to to spend that, I mean, we spent our first year um, of earnings, all of it, on on the Kickstarter. Every single dollar remained in the first year. Something our tradi- traditional blanket, we spent that back into the Kickstarter, we reinvested it. Um, if we started from day one with the Kickstarter, we probably wouldn't have hit 1.1 million because we wouldn't have had the money. So it's important to understand that it is it, it is just another platform uh, to drive traffic to, but you still need to spend the money to drive traffic. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, we it was an opportunity for us to sell all across the world. I mean, you know, we're shipping blankets to Istanbul and Singapore and Australia and, and the UK and everywhere. So it was it was great for us to see where people would love our product and uh, give us ideas also in the future of where we want to expand to. Mm. Yeah, that that's very interesting. It's um, and and especially how you kind of uh, mentioned the the I guess perceived notion of what people think about Kickstarter, which is really not the case at all. I mean, uh, to your point, it's, it's just another way of raising capital. I mean, obviously it, it brings exposure to, to your business, but at the same time, I think what's cool is that you have re- very early adopters and you can reward them in a different way. You know, like um, I know a lot of people will send like freebies or samples or something early on for, you know, uh, committing, I guess, committing money up front. Uh, which is nice. And it's also like with that 1.5, what you're really getting is very loyal customers uh, that you can then try to retain, try to really please, and, and they can then spread word, et cetera. So it's kind of a growth hack right there. It, de- it definitely is. Like we um, we had another idea to launch our cooling bed sheets and pillowcases. And uh, instead of trying to launch on our site and run, run a campaign and put a ton of money behind it and see if it sticks, we just sent an email out to all our backers and say like, Hey, like here's a link, buy it if you want, and you'll get it at a discount uh, just to validate the product. And a huge portion of them all bought it. And we're like, wow, this is obviously something people want. So now we're investing into launching it as a part of our, our, our normal line 
because we got that validation from them. There's a lot of ways you can use the people on Kickstarter to to help you kind of scale at, at a faster rate. Mm. What, what do you hope to do now, man? Like you have two two obviously growing businesses, you know, Revitasize and, and Hush. And is it really like growing one on, on the Revitasize side of things, growing uh, growing like locations, maybe maybe getting an, uh, an actual e-commerce site going with that. So really boosting online sales for Hush. Is it new new features? Like, do you really want to focus on these two lines and just keep growing them? Or do you still have something in mind, you know, in the mind of a serial entrepreneur that you still want to tackle? Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, for, for both businesses, actually, I'm extremely, extremely fortunate. Uh, probably my, my greatest blessing is that um, I'm able to have arguably the best partners in both. Um, I mean, one, one, you know, my, my, my brothers are incredible. I mean, running a family business as anyone who's listening, or if you've ever been in one is, is, is difficult on its own because you're dealing with, with business and personal and, and emotions and people's own timelines and stuff. And it can be very difficult. So I'm extremely fortunate to have, um, brothers who who we see eye to eye and we we have we share a common vision and you know now we're at the point where we're we're big enough where we all kind of focus on different areas of the business um Mm -hmm. we actually ended up launching online about a year ago and uh we have a full distribution channel now where we ship all over toronto the gta next day or same day um so that that's kind of where where i'm fortunate enough to just be on my computer and i can run everything through there um you know, and one of my brothers builds the location for us. The other one manages our manufacturing facility. So we're able to kind of spread and kind of dominate our own regions of it. And it all benefits the, the bigger picture. And, and, and for us, you know, like I always tell people I have the cheat code. I have, you know, Lior on the team who's probably one, one of the best internet marketers that I know. Uh, he still sells his course on how to write proper emails for people. Um, mm. And um, like the stuff that he the stuff that he does for us is incredible. So I think um, the goal would, would would eventually be to to sell uh, one of them at some point. Um, obviously, yeah. There's is there more ideas in stock? It's uh, I have a notepad of probably like 150 ideas on my phone. <laughs> I get like. I, I get a new one every day. It's, it's honestly, it's a blessing and a curse. Um, and I know, I know Lior does, and I, and I know my brothers do. So I'm constantly surrounded by people shooting ideas my way. My email, I have an inbox folder of just emails that come in that are like new ideas that I filter into a folder. Um, so yeah, there's obviously a lot of things um, I want to do, and and you know, I obviously don't have the time to do them right now, but. I think scaling, I mean, Revita, we have 110 employees now. I think just learning the HR to deal with all that is a huge lesson uh, for us. And same with us, like developing a sales team and stuff like that is all these things that, that we're learning is extremely valuable that I want to see through and do properly. Uh, so these type of lessons will help in the future. Um, but yeah, like just kind of day by day, one small win at a time and keep going. Hmm. what advice would you give to someone looking to start right now young entrepreneur maybe not in tech from the two things that you've done so far you know one you're looking to sell um what's what's that one kind of piece that uh that you look back on and you're like fuck i wish i had this man when i was first starting 
yeah, Oof, a lot. I, I would I would say a lot. I was actually speaking to someone yesterday, another young entrepreneur. Um, she was she was actually she's actually brilliant. She's extremely talented. Um, we were actually thinking about taking her, bringing her on board, and I think the I know it's a little bit bitter to, to hear. I think the, the hardest thing to do, even if you're just starting entrepreneur, even if you're in entrepreneurship or just starting, is to look in the mirror and really understand why why it is you're trying to do what you're what you're doing. And uh, eventually, when, when I talk to a few people, eventually it comes out that they're either doing it for the perfect reason, and I can see that it's just never that flame is never going to die for them. And for a lot of people, it comes from from a bad place. Uh, it comes from potentially trying to prove someone wrong. Um, you know, maybe, you know, maybe they didn't last in school and they're trying to, you know, do this route or maybe they did school and now they did, they don't like what they're doing. And so it's, it's to really look in the mirror and say like, why, what, why am I doing this? And what do I love to do about it? Um, and once you kind of link that up and it makes sense and you're really grounded in that, then you can start because, you know, for me, like for for a lot of people, no matter what comes your way, you're just going to persevere. You're going to battle through it. If it's genuinely what you love and what you want to do, there's nothing that can really stop you. But when it comes from a unhealthy place, sometimes um, and a bad thing does, it will happen. There will be things that absolutely crush you. And when it does come and does crush you, uh, and you're going to start second guessing yourself, and, and eventually you'll just you won't want to do it anymore. Um, like, like Leo and I, you know, we could have quit in Revita when we ran out of money. Um, Leo and I could have quit when we were making one sale a day in the summer. And we we're like, what is this? You know, like, this is awful. We, we should just focus on better things. Like, this isn't going to work. There's so many times where we can just quit, but it's just not, it's not in us because we just love it. Like, there was a point where we had a conversation where we we're like, how cool is it going to be when we get this thing back up to 100 sales a day? And it was like the hardest, it was like the top of Mount Everest was 100 sales a day, but it was like, how fun is it going to be to climb this mountain? Um, And if you don't generally love that and you're you're just trying to to do something for the sake of doing it, I find that it often comes at an expense of time. um, And perhaps there's there's things that that you're better at that you would love more. So, and it's tough. It's really tough to look in the mirror and be like, do I really, really, really love this? Is this what I want to do? Or am I just trying to do this for unhealthy reasons? Um, so that's kind of my advice is, is to, to look. And once it's, once it's true, once you're grounded and you're locked in, there's, there's nothing that, that can stop you. Um, like, no one can tell me anything, <laughs> really. Like, I've had so many people tell me things aren't going to work. You know, I've seen these blankets before. These guys down the street make a better juice than you. You know, oh, you guys are too expensive or your salads aren't as good as these guys' salads. I've heard it all. No one's going to order online where they can just get Uber Eats. I've heard every every single thing that you can possibly think of. Mm. Uh, And I often nod my head and I say, okay, cool. I respect your thoughts, but that's not going to stop. It's not going to stop me. Mm. Um, and if I wasn't grounded and I didn't truly believe in what I'm doing and, and enjoy the process, I probably could have quit. I've had my dad tell me to quit. 
He's like, Aaron, you're doing too much. Focus on this. You know, for a lot of people, like if your dad tells you to do something, it, it, that's what it is. When I dropped out of school, my, my dad, they got, well, what are you doing? And I'm like, don't worry. Like, I'm just, I'm out. You got this. Yeah. You know, so, and, and, and you know, my dad was consistent, you know, pretty lenient, but like I have friends that they drop out of school. Like it's really, you know, they're, they're not talking to their parents for years for that. And can you handle that? Is that, is that, is that okay for you? Is it tough? You know? Yeah. So it's those things that, that make it or break it for, for a lot of people. And, you know, I'm fortunate to talk to a lot of people that, you know, I find that everyone has something to teach me. So I'm so excited to have conversations with people. I find like everyone came from a different situation and knows things that I don't know. So, and I, and it, it hurts to hear sometimes, you know, people going down paths that, that they even, they're even conscious enough to know it's not for them, but they're just doing it anyway. They're just doing it. Yeah, man. Um, I, I, well, thanks for that. that. I mean, that's extremely um, detailed. And, and I like that because like basically what I got from what you're saying in this point and the one before, um, and I wanted to kind of wrap the two together because the, the first thing you were saying was basically partner with people who obviously complement your weaknesses, right? Um, and I, I think one of the stats that's important to mention is like, I think the, uh, it's really overweight, but most of the startups that are successful have more than one founder. Um, so basically sole founders, not that you can't be successful, but have a less likelihood to be successful if you're by yourself. That's pretty straightforward in business. You need to partner. It's often difficult to find the right partners. And I can resonate very well with what you were saying, because even for when, like when we were building Bookback at the time, uh, having two technical co-founders was extremely important. You know, that was something I just couldn't do. It's not like, you know, maybe I can do it. It was like a, a, a no-brainer, right? So you need to partner with people who, who can at least get you to where you need to be to, to then execute on your strengths. To your point, I mean, maybe you bring that online flavor. Your brothers helped in, in, in different ways with Hush Blanket. Lior was your was your guy. So I think having that is important. To your next point, it's like, man, the confidence that you need, you know, and, and, and you're going to hear like, oh, this doesn't work. I heard it too, you know, especially even with the podcast. Like, I'm like, people, you know, people are like, what, what, why would you do that? You know, especially being in capital markets. I was working for the exchange at the time. And this was early 2015, right before this whole thing really blew up on, in the podcast space. And people are like, you're interviewing? Like, what do you think you're Jimmy Kimmel? Like, it was just, it, it didn't resonate <laughs> in the beginning. You know, they thought like I was a talk show host or why are you interviewing? They just didn't get it, you know? And a lot of the time, man, to your point, like you kind of have to listen to your voice, right? It's kind of like that gut instinct. Don't be, I, I guess, naive or gullible. Like you're, you're basically taking the right risks. But when you know deep down something isn't right for you and something is, you just have to do it. And then the third point that really resonated with me was you're saying, like, just understand why, maybe the purpose of what you're doing. Uh, too many times you're in it for the wrong reasons and you stay in it because you either coast, you're too afraid to get out, you don't know what to do next. And so maybe even preventing that is just sit down and really ask yourself, like, is this even a business I want to partner with? Is this something I want to invest in? Is this something I want to do? Um, and, and I think that'll save you a lot of time, a lot of trouble. Um, because to your point, like doing stuff, man, is, is going to be challenging regardless. You know, like you were saying, how many times have have you know, people told you no along the way or or you had challenges or you had doubts. If you really didn't love what you were doing, you would have quit, man. Otherwise, you'd be insane. I think you'd be an insane insane person to continue doing something you extremely despise. Right. And, and if, you know, and if you're doing it, if you're doing it to, have, to make money or to be rich, because everything you're going to do anyway, is going to, you're going to want to earn income, right? Mm -hmm. There's a kajillion ways you can do easier that. to make money, yeah, exactly. than to be to go down this this path. I mean, I was telling uh, you'll probably listen to this actually. So 
Hey, Matt. Uh, I was telling Matt, one of our, our, our new sales associates for Hush the other day, and he was trying to figure out like our financials. And, and a big thing actually that we do is I'm super open book with everyone. Like all 100 people I provide, I know this. All our, all our seven people at Hush know this too, is, is I'm super transparent with all our financials, how much we make, how much everyone gets paid. Um, and That's to kind of create that level of transparency. Mm-hmm. And I was telling him, I'm like, dude, I haven't taken a dollar from Hush in, in a year and a half. And neither has, neither has Lior. He's like, what? Can't believe it. Like, that's impossible. I don't understand it. And I was like, no, like we're fortunate enough to like just have some, some other incomes and we don't take much. And he couldn't, he couldn't believe it. You know what I mean? And I was like, this is real, dude. This is a real financial statement. Look at it. And um, it's important to, to, to understand that you can, you can make money e- way easier ways um, getting a simple job. Actually, I did the math. I won't talk about it too much here, but if anyone's ever interested, reach out to me. I have a spreadsheet that I can share with you on how to be a millionaire on minimum wage, uh, as long as you start when you're 18. Um, so you'll retire a multimillionaire just by money managing properly without any special investments, obviously. Um, so it, it's, yeah. it's, you're able to be, to be rich without this. And if you can, concretely remove that aspect from what you're doing, then you'll, you'll get deeper to the understanding of, do I actually love this or not? Um, mm. And if you're able to do that, then, then you'll do well because entrepreneurship, the money is like the last, last, last thing that comes to you. Um, unless, unless something beautiful happens to you and you're able to just sell a quick flip. Uh, but those yeah. things, you know, those stories are nice to hear, but I, I, they don't happen too often. That's very true, man. And, and I always like think that as well in terms of an opportunity cost. Like that's how I, I measure a lot of the things I do. So to your point, like for instance, for you on the side, you can get a part-time job. Okay. Even if you got that part-time job, the thing that you're, that's costing you is your time. So, mm-hmm. so say for example, if instead of hush, you were doing provide size and you were working at Starbucks part-time, not that there's anything wrong with Starbucks or, or part-time jobs, but you're basically for the for the time that you're you're putting in, say five six hours after after five p.m., you're earning a very strict wage. Whereas now, if you're putting six hours at hush, you're not earning anything up front. That's the cost to you now. So what's costing you is the money that you're foregoing, but the time that you're putting into something that could later on pay out much more. So in terms of money, to your point, it's like well that could come later, but are you doing something you enjoy now, and are you putting that upfront investment, which is your time, effort, and sweat, to building something that you can be proud of? So that, that's kind of how I look at my podcast. It's, can I use my time to do something else that makes me money in the short run? Of course. I can do fucking 100 things, man, that pay me more. My <laughs> podcast sure. hasn't paid me a single fucking penny since I started this, and it's been four years, and it's if anything, it's costing me money and time. But for me, instead of using cost, I'm like, I'm investing my time and money because I'm getting so much out of it in other intangible ways. So if that's like a flavor for people that works, that's kind of my mindset around this this stuff that you're you're pointing out. And I agree with that 100%. I mean, I, I was thinking of starting one, and the main reason was it was exactly what you're saying now. I was like, I would just be cool to talk to a ton of different people. That's true. And and all, everything I'd be able to learn from that, like, I'm in. But I just, I couldn't, I couldn't schedule out the time, but I get exactly what you're saying, the main reason for it. And listen, and there's no saying that it wouldn't in the future, but that's not what, that that's not what's driving me right now. So, if it happens, it happens. And if it doesn't, you keep going. Like you're, you're four years in. I've seen this podcast hundreds of times, dude. I haven't even met you. So mm-hmm. you're obviously making waves and noises. And, and I've listened to it many times. Uh, so 
I mean, you're giving value to a ton of other people. So I, I see, I see the value in this, but I can understand that a lot of people get motivated if you just don't make money. Gotcha. I appreciate that, man. Well, listen, before we wrap up, um, first of all, I really appreciate all this stuff, man. I, this is one of the, probably one of the most podcasts I've enjoyed. And I, uh, I can say this genuinely and, and you know who I've had on as well. So it's, uh, uh, it's really a testament, man, to, to your experience. And I enjoyed it because, um, I, obviously having done, done this a lot now, like you can tell by people's tone when things are genuine and when things come from the heart and, and just listening to young entrepreneur, man, who's been successful, but still has ambition to do a lot more is, is, uh, is inspiring, man. First thing in the morning. So on a Friday, so kudos to you, dude. Um, before we wrap up, I just Thank wanted you. to ask something different. Um, what's, what's the one thing that you did differently that sets you apart from other people quickly? Ooh, what did I do differently? Hmm. It's a good question. I to think. <laughs> what did yeah, I do? I don't think I ever asked this too, by the way. I usually ask like advice. So I already asked you that last time. Um, but I kind of a small pivot. I'm just curious, like, is there maybe it, it's it might not be one thing, I, but is it the risk you took? Something something that you reflect on? I I never once doubted anything I did. Mm. Like gen and that's very, very genuine. I wasn't lying to myself and saying, Don't worry, Aaron, like it's gonna work, don't worry, and like still be sad. Like I couldn't hear the noise. I, I just I couldn't. It didn't make sense to me. It it what like there was no other option. With Revita it was really true there was no other option. Like if we didn't sell on day one, then God knows where me and, and my family would be right now. But it was so sink or swim, and like, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's naive in, in a way to say like everything I do I think is going to work. What kind of thing? It's, it's not a, a, a cocky or, or conceited way. It's just a genuine belief that I know that I'll see it through, and that there will be roadblocks, but I'm, I'm constant. There's always a solution, and um, I just I never once think it's not going to work. And, and that's, and that's so true. I know that I will see it all the way through and, and I, and I will go to war for it. Um, like being a non-tech guy and I have no idea how to code building a website was completely impossible for me before I even started. Now I could build, I could build one right now. And I, now I understand when people, you know, when I work with people to build it and stuff, I understand it top through, but if you tell me two years ago, Aaron, can you build a website? I'd look at you and be like, absolutely not. No. But I, I just, I think that if I, if I, if I put, you know, the cliche saying, you put your mind to it and stuff like that, like if, if I commit to it, it it's going to happen. Uh, I will get all the way through. I won't sleep. I'll work all day. I'll outwork the next guy. If, if, you know, we track our competitors, like every single thing they do, I follow my competitors, every type of media that they expose. I'm always asking about them, not because I'm obsessed with what they're doing, because I want to know that whatever they're doing, I'm going to smash them. So, um, and I, and I'll go all day, all night, uh, until we do. Um, and it sounds very aggressive, but that's kind of how, how I think. I just think that like, you can't, you can't beat me because I won't stop and eventually you will stop. So that's kind of the thing that separates me is that, you know, I told I tell Leo, I'm like, so like we're so happy to sell blankets because what happens if we sold mugs? Like the guys selling mugs, like they're gonna they're gonna hate us right now. <laughs> so you know what I mean? So like we feel bad for the blanket guys, but like imagine the mug guys, they'd really hate us. So um because we're just we're relentless with it. 
And, and that's, I wouldn't say it separates me from everyone, but it definitely separates me from a lot. Because I know a lot of people at six o'clock, they're going to close their computer and they're going to go make a nice dinner at home and, and play video games and, and work out. And not, not that I'm against working out. I try to do as much as possible, but you go do your hobbies and, and I'll sit here and, and make up my space with you and, and take the lead. God damn. Well, there you go. Yeah. Adding <laughs> Friday to Friday. Hey, there my, it man, is. my man, Aaron, spit in it. I like it, dude. Well, thanks a lot for that. Um, you know, definitely a lot of words of wisdom there. I'm sure this this podcast is definitely going to get a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of hits. But more importantly, um, we'll give a lot of value to a lot of listeners. So thank you for that. Thanks for taking the time. Um, I know you're active on Instagram. Is there anywhere else people, I know people are going to check out Hush Blankets now, Revitasize if they haven't already. Uh, where can people connect if they want to hit you up, talk to you, follow up? Where is it best? Yeah. Uh, best thing would be through, yeah, through Instagram. I'm pretty active on Instagram at a-S-P-I-V. Um, just got on LinkedIn. Actually, you inspired me from LinkedIn. I saw you <laughs> today, man. And I actually want to tell you, like, there is a huge window right now for you to, to, to even add more exposure. So I'm looking forward to seeing more content, man. Yeah, I, I, you inspired me. I was like, holy, this LinkedIn's a whole new world. So uh, I'm definitely going to get get more. I didn't even know, like, I'm kind of like, I had a profile and stuff. I wasn't very on it, but now I'm definitely going to do you have premium? Do you recommend premium? Yeah, I was using it. Before. Like I had it through through work, but um, definitely, definitely encourage it, man. Even like sales okay. nav. I mean, for business, they're they're great tools. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. So LinkedIn, if you, if that's where you want to uh, connect, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty easy to reach. I do my best to to talk with everyone. Uh, just because like I said earlier, everyone's got something to offer, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. There you go. Thanks again, my man. And uh, we'll definitely see you soon. All right. Sounds good.